0: How often do you have financial stress in your life? Not this kind of financial stress, but at least some kind of financial stress. Many of us would say that we have financial stress from time to time. And we live in a culture where financial stress is just normal. Um, We, I think, have got to the point where we don't realize that there's even another way to live. Debt is normal. Monthly payments are normal. Living paycheck to paycheck is normal. Living with anxiety and stress about money is normal. Tension in marriage about money is normal. Living with no financial margin is normal. Normal isn't working, is it? The topic of money is really important. It's really important to all of us. And it's actually a pretty sensitive topic too, isn't it? It's a topic that's important to God. And what we're talking about today and in the weeks to come isn't because we want your money, but we do want to talk about something that's really important to God as well. And we certainly want to get this right, don't we, in terms of our relationship with God. Did you know when Jesus was on earth, he talked about money more than he did heaven and hell combined? And so we need to understand it's a really important part of our relationship with God as well. And so that's why this series called More, where over the next four weeks we'll be looking at some myths about money. So if normal isn't working, then what is the answer? I think I can answer that for you in one word. The answer is margin. Now what do we mean by margin? Margin. Margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary and beyond what is necessary for us to live. Let me give you an example. So just hypothetically, suppose your income is $3,000 a month. That's how much you make. If you live on $2,500, what you have left over, the $500, is called margin. If you have $3,000 a month income and you spend all $3,000 every month, you have no margin. And if your income is $3,000 and you spend $3,200 every month, you're in trouble. And so this is a topic we need to talk about. And you may be thinking, you know, leftover, are you kidding me? That's not possible, especially with my income. No, it is possible. In fact, it's the only way to live. Now, maybe you're feeling at this point, Jerry, if only I had more, then I would have less stress. If only I had more, then I could be happier. But my money just seems to be gone. I I, I don't know where it goes, and I can't seem to handle it well, and I don't seem to control it well, and I, I, I just don't know what to do about it. Listen closely. Money behaves. Money is compliant. Money is agreeable. Money is respectful. Money is obedient. Money will tell us, tell you, money will do what we tell it to do every single time without exception every time. Kids don't do that do they? I mean, for those of us who are parents, we know that kids aren't compliant, and kids don't behave every single time. In fact, show me someone who says kids behave all the time, and I'll show you someone who's never been a parent, right? Now, dogs probably tend to obey better than our kids for the most part, right? I mean, you may have one of those dogs that's an exception, but most dogs are pretty compliant. We have a golden retriever in our house. I've talked, to him, I talked about him before. His name is Lance, and... Uh, I, you probably know that Golden Retriever is a breed that's rather compliant. They're pretty obedient. They're pretty easy to train. And that's general. You know, that, that speaks generally of that breed, although once in a while they decide not to obey. But I've noticed something about Lance the Golden Retriever. When he decides not to obey, when he decides to be defiant, he makes you feel good about it. I mean, he kind of looks at you with his happy face and he wags his tail and sometimes he'll put his paw up on you while he's disobeying to say, why don't you scratch me on the tummy or something like that. So golden retrievers will figure out how to make us feel good about that. But understand this, money behaves. Money will do what we tell it to do every single time. Money's not cagey money doesn't control us we control it in other words we are not a victim of money it's not as if we can say you know my savings account it just seemed to disappear or i don't know where the money goes it just evaporates or you know i'd like to be more generous i'd like to be more generous with god but i just can't afford to here's the truth The truth is we don't have a savings account because we made decisions that led to that. The truth is our money just doesn't evaporate. We chose to spend it maybe on going out to eat regularly or on that vacation. And it's not true that we can't afford to give to God. It's a choice we make based on our lifestyle decisions. You know, it's easier actually to believe the myth because if we believe the myth, then we're a victim. We're not at fault. And what is that myth? The myth is this. More would fix everything. But here's the truth. Margin would fix everything. Now, when I say everything, I don't mean everything. But I do mean it would fix many, if not most, of our financial problems and the stress and the worry that we have if we could learn to develop this concept of margin when it comes to our finances in our lives. There's a verse in the Bible I want to read to you. I want to read you a more literal version to begin with, and it's Proverbs 21. 1 verse 20. I'm going to read it to you from the English Standard Version of the Bible so you get what it says literally. Here's what it says. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Now we often read from the New Living Translation. So listen to what it says in this last phrase. Fools spend whatever they get. No margin, in other words. This is saying that a foolish man devours it. A foolish man lives paycheck to paycheck, and notice that it does not say that a wealthy man stores up. Not a family with six-figure income, not a home where there are two incomes, not a person that's received a sizable inheritance from his parents. A wise man stores up treasure and oil in his house. I recently heard of a family who lives in an upper-class section of a large city, and they live in a half-million-dollar home. They get new luxury vehicles every other year. They take Disney cruises with their kids. But here's what no one knows. At night, after the dad puts the kids to bed, he goes out and he works a second job just to make ends meet. Now, from the outside in, people would say, "Wow." They have a great life. They have the American dream. If I had what they had, then I would be happy too. But what people don't see is the stress and the worry and the pressure and the anxiety and the lack of contentment and peace that they live with daily because of their lifestyle. I also know another guy who lives within his means. In other words, he has margin. He drives used cars, which he pays cash for. He lives in a decent home, but it's barely middle class on today's standards. When he and his family vacation, they do modest vacations. They save up for them ahead of time and they pay cash for those vacations. They don't eat out a lot, but really they enjoy sitting down at the dinner table as a family They consistently contribute 10% to the church. They're generous with others. He enjoys time with his wife and kids. And when he puts his pillow on his head at night, he sleeps soundly without stress and anxiety due to his lifestyle or financial stress. A question for you. Which of these two is happier? Who is more content? And a second question. How does the second guy do it? It's something called margin we live in a society that is blessed as much if not more than any society ever with regard to material possessions and income and yet we still think or that we need or want more that will fix everything it's not an income problem it's a lifestyle problem which really points to a heart problem At the root is a spiritual problem. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus is telling us that wherever our money goes, our heart will follow. And you know, you think about it, it really makes sense. Wherever you invest your money, that's what you become tied to. Now the average Christian in America, according to statistics, gives 2% a year to their church. And it's no wonder that we struggle spiritually because of where our hearts are aligned if margin would fix everything, then how do we create margin? There's really a simple answer to this. Spend less than you earn. Now that's a very easy concept for us to understand, but most of us still struggle putting it into practice because we haven't addressed the root issue. And today I wanna talk about the root issue. What is happening below the surface in our hearts? How to approach it from a spiritual perspective. In other words, see what God has to say. And there are a few simple principles that can work if you apply them. However, however I also want to address that spend less than you make approach from a real practical standpoint. Probably some of you were never taught how to manage your money. So when you got a job, you just started spending it. And addressing this issue begins by understanding that at the root, at the root issue, how we spend our money is a spiritual matter. I just read to you the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 6, started in verse 19, read through verse 21. Here's how Jesus concluded that section where he was talking about money and our finances in Matthew chapter 6. This is the last verse. Of chapter 6 is verse 33. Here's what he said seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need So you seek first the kingdom of God you think you seek first the things that are God You rearrange your priorities because if you do that your heart will follow in other words It's not just giving the first 10% and that's been called tithing It's an understanding that God is interested in how I view, how I treat, how I spend 100% of my money and possessions. Because it all comes from Him and it all belongs to Him. I ask Him how He wants me to manage all the resources of my life He's given me. So going back to that verse where Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God, let me ask you a question, what are you seeking? If you're pursuing money, What is driving that? What's going on below the surface? God tells me to put Him first. And He wants us to be percentage givers. What does that mean? It it means that we take the first percent of our paycheck and we give it back to Him. For example, we read this, um, the Apostle Paul wrote this in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 16, he said on the first day of each week you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Now we see examples of this throughout the Bible where people gave the first 10%, you know, gave it to God, gave it to their church, and like I said, that's called a tithe. And God asked us to do this as followers of Jesus. It's really core to our relationship with Him. What happens when we begin to do this? What happens when we begin to honor God with the first percentage? Let me show you how this works. When you seek first the kingdom of God and put Him first, with your money and possessions, three things can happen. Here's the first. When you become a percentage giver, you open yourself up to a more meaningful relationship with God. When we bring our first and best to God, God will bless our lives. That's His promise to us many times in the Bible. Let me show you one. This is Malachi 3, verse 10. It says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, I will open the windows of Heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Then, it's almost as if God anticipated pushback on that from people. So he added this sentence, try it, put me to the test. You know, that almost reads like a dare, doesn't it? Remember when you were a kid and someone would dare you to do something? And if you were hesitant, They would raise the stakes by adding something to the dare. You remember what that was? You would be double dared. And then it went to a triple dare. And remember the biggest one of all? A triple dog dare. Uh, It's never too early to watch a Christmas clip, is it? when you're reading from the Bible Malachi chapter 3 you almost get the sense that God is saying I triple-dog dare you to put me first and see what I'll do in your life just wait and see (laughs) he won't leave you stuck to a flagpole if you do that either by the way the blessing more than likely will at least in part be contentment and peace because that's really at the heart of what we're seeking But sometimes we fail to realize that we can only be found in God. Percentage giving builds faith. You know, in the Old Testament, that was the first half of our Bible, that was 10%. And one of the most practical ways was to seek God first was by doing that. And we can do that today. We rearrange our lives around God, which aligns our heart with Him and breaks the power of materialism. Don't wait until you think you can afford it. Or until you have margin. Percentage giving will break the power of what led you to where you are today. And you know if you can't do 10%, then take your next step. Is that 3%? Is that 6%? But keep working towards that. So that's one way to seek first the kingdom of God. Here's another way. It's this. When you seek first God's kingdom, prioritize Him, you will become more content. Listen to the words of Proverbs 15, 16. Better to have little with fear for the Lord than to have great treasure in inner turmoil better to have little with fear of the Lord than to have a lot or to have more but not have peace and contentment it's better it's better it's better did you get that? We think more would fix everything, more will make me happy. No, true happiness is being content with what you do have. Because the myth of more is better just leaves us wanting more. Once you put God first, which leads to contentment and creates margin because you've broken the power of materialism, you can begin to use your resources too as a way to bless others, a tool to bless others. You can be more generous and you'll begin to say, why did I ever live that way? This is so much better. You'll begin to think, I've got it better. Contentment, stress-free living, the joy of using my resources to give generously to God and others. Another thing happens when we put God first, when we seek God first. It's this. You end up with more of what matters here's what God tells us in Proverbs 8 he says those who search will surely find me I have riches and honor as well as enduring wealth and justice my gifts are better than gold even the purest gold my wages better than sterling silver there's that word better again God says that his gifts are better than purest gold Today, we might say something like this What God provides and blesses us with is better than a huge inheritance or even winning the lottery. You don't have to argue with your spouse anymore over finances and spending. You'll end up creating margin in your life. Financial stress is gone. You don't have to stress at the end of the month knowing when the bills are going to come in, how you're going to pay them because you have planned and budgeted for them. You aren't overspending. You become a contributor instead of a consumer. Show me a consumer and I'll show you a person who's not satisfied. They always want more. Show me a contributor and I'll show you a contented person. You know, I've tried to put God first financially most of my life. When I was a boy, when I was in college, when I was in seminary, when I first got married throughout our marriage, and I've tied, meaning given the 10%, and even beyond most of the time, because I believe the New Testament standard is actually one of generosity. And we've tried to always have margin by spending less than we earned. So we didn't have financial stress in our lives. We did that when we were a one-income family, and we had three kids, and we were living just on a pastor's salary. And it hasn't always been easy, honestly. There have been some times where I've tempted to pull back or cut back what we were giving because finances were tight. But looking back, here's what I found. Peace, contentment, the joy of knowing that what I'm giving can make a difference for eternity. It's better than new cars or nice clothes or bigger houses or elaborate vacations. More doesn't fix everything. Contentment does. Putting God first and creating margin leads to contentment. It's not an income issue. It's ultimately a heart issue. Now, how do you do this practically? How do you create margin and make this work in your life? I want to show you um, by suggesting a plan that we'll call the 10-10-80 plan. It's a simple plan. I want to show you how it works. This, someone presented this to me years ago, and it's not the only plan, but it's one that will work if we use it. You see three buckets up here on on this table. We're gonna let this first bucket represent giving. We're gonna let this bucket represent (laughs) savings, and then we'll let this third bucket represent spending. In every pay period, you get to decide what order or what percentage will go into each bucket. Now listen carefully. You make a decision every single pay period. Let me remind you that money behaves. It goes where you tell it to go. It's not going to jump from one bucket to the next, okay? It's not like in the dead of the night, Money money is going to sneak from one bucket and go into another. Money's compliant. Money's agreeable. So here's the question. How will you decide to distribute the money God has given you into each of those buckets? And before we talk about that, it's probably worth you knowing, knowing how the average American does that. The first thing the average American does is put 130% of their spending into the spending bucket. Now, about 4%, the average American puts in savings, and about 2% in the giving bucket. And that really, those statistics really haven't changed much over the last 15 years. Now, it doesn't take a degree in math to see that that just doesn't add up, does it? But the debt picture in our country has Become really bad. The average credit card balance is now between five and seven thousand dollars. The average overall household debt in America is one hundred thirty thousand dollars, and that actually keeps growing. But we know that money behaves. So what is the conclusion? There's only one conclusion: we have a serious problem, and at the heart of it is a spiritual problem, a discontentment problem, a problem of what or who is first place in our life. But here's what I want to leave you with today. It's something I was taught, like I said many years ago, it's always stuck with me, it's helped me, and we'll just call this the 10-10-80 principle. Another way of expressing it would be this, you pay God, you pay yourself, and then you pay others. When we get paid, The first thing we do is we look at the giving bucket. God tells us to put him first. He says, the very first percentage of what you earn, I want you to give that to me. And if you do that, I'll bless you in ways you can't imagine. So we honor God first. We give the first percentage to him. That's often called a tithe or 10% in parts of the Bible. And the second bucket then, we pay ourselves when you hear of someone or when i hear someone living from paycheck to paycheck i often wonder why aren't you at least paying yourself something in other words putting something into savings you work hard why would you want to labor all month all long and pay people you don't know or who don't love you take control of your money your money will always do what you tell it to do so Again, by this we mean save it. Take that second 10% and set it aside. Save it for an emergency fund, for retirement. Like Proverbs twenty-one twenty says, foolish people spend all they earn. Then with the 80%, you can spend it. You can pay the bills. You can retire debt. You can use some of it for enjoyment. God wants us to do that. But even with the 80%, We manage it carefully to a budget so that we don't overspend. Now understand this, we are still accountable to God for that 80%. But once you sort through the hard issues and realize that how we spend our money is a spiritual decision, that not only will we become more content so that we don't feel that urge to spend it all on ourselves, but you actually find joy in honoring God with setting aside some for him you know and with today's technology with today's automation in other words um, using direct deposits using this kind of plan actually is pretty easy you can set it up to make it happen that way now if all this has your head swimming at this point and if you, or maybe you're thinking something like man i want to do this jerry but i have no idea where to begin and I've got so much debt that I have to pay off. Then let me encourage you to get into Financial Peace University. We're going to offer it again here at the church in January. So watch the announcements for that. It will help you sort through all this, all that we're talking about. It will get you moving in the right track. It prioritizes retiring debt while you can still honor God. And it gets you on a plan where you can pay God and pay yourself as well. And when you begin to follow that plan, not only will you find more peace because you're free from the stress, the debt, and overspending the grip that they have on your life, you'll find contentment knowing that you put God first, you're paying yourself, you're using sound financial principles. And then, a funny thing happens. You find that you don't really need or want what you think. Thought you did. You figured out that contentment comes not from stuff, but from God. Our God has been so generous with us. And you really don't have to look any further than the cross where Jesus gave up his life for us to see that generosity. And so our response is to respond to him in generosity because he's been so generous with us.